Welcome to Bible Study Today. This is Len, your host, your temporary host, that is, welcoming and inviting you to join us where we'll look into God's Word and find some special messages for people of this day and from lessons from the past. This week we are studying a very interesting topic called Abraham's Seed. Now, what that means, you'll probably gather as we go through. Let me introduce to you today's panel. From the deep south of South Australia, we have Brenton. Welcome, Brenton. Thank you, Len. It's a pleasure to be here. And we have from the near north, Helen. Welcome, Helen. Thank you so much. Yes, it is a delight, a pleasure. I just love studying with your group and sharing with the listener. And from the near south, we have Joe. Welcome, Joe. Thank you, Len. It's good to be here, as always. And our host today, also from the near north, is Ken. So, Ken, we hand the uh, program over to you as our facilitator and we pray that this will be a very meaningful time that we have together. Thank you, Len. Hello, listeners, and thank you for joining us for another Bible study. This quarter, we are studying the promise, the everlasting covenant, and today we are looking into Abraham's seed, or descendants, where mankind today fits into the picture. Many of you will have heard of the patience of Job and all he went through. But when reading what God has put up with since he first put man on the earth, I am amazed at that God has not given up on us and washed his hands of us all. He really has tried everything he could for thousands of years to reconcile man back to himself, even sending his only son as a man who he hoped people would relate to and understand. Many did, but his own people, the Jews, rejected him. Instead, looking for a powerful king who would overthrow the Romans and rid the land of them. It is interesting to note that his own people had all the information in their hands about the coming Messiah, but he did not fit what they were looking for, so they rejected and killed him. So today we are going to look at God's chosen people and where they came from. But first, let us pray. Helen, would you be kind enough to lead us in that today? I'll do. Loving Heavenly Father, what a delight it is to come to share your word. To just for these few moments, Lord, because it's only a few moments according to eternity that we have to share with the people. But in those moments, we ask the Holy Spirit to take over. May it not be us speaking our own words, but may these thoughts come from you through the Spirit. Lord, we thank you. We have your word that we can study. We have guidance. We have your comfort. And, Lord, we have hope because of what you've written and the covenants, and we have a hope for the future. So bless each one here on the panel. Bless everyone who listens. And may we come closer to you and each other through this and bring honour and glory and praise to you and you alone. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Helen. That was lovely. Okay. Abraham's descendants. Why did God choose the descendants of Abraham to be his special people? Ben, would you like to look into that one for us? Yes, I will. And the answer is found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7 and verses 6 to 8. 
and I'll be reading to you from the New International Version. It says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Now, on the face of it, it looks like God simply bestowed his favours on this particular group of people. And through them, he was hoping to demonstrate to everybody his own character. But, you know, I really find this is quite beautiful. That God just chose these people because he loved them. And I think about myself. What, what wonderful things have I got that God should choose to have me as part of his kingdom? Am I good-looking? Am I famous? Am I musical? Well, none of those things really apply to me, I suppose. God just chose me, and I'm very grateful. And here was God's desire to use a particular group of people to demonstrate his love, not only to them, but through them. Helen, you wanted to add something to that? Yeah, I also believe it was because God had made a promise. It was nothing of Israel's merit. It was he had actually made a promise to their ancestors. But I agree with Lynn, just as God chose Israel, the nation of Israel, he's chosen all the believers today to be part of his treasured possession. You know, not because of our merit, and I think we need to keep stressing that, that we have come to faith in Christ. Instead, God chose us out of his goodness and his grace. There was another revelation from God recorded by the prophet Ezekiel. Helen, would you like to tell us what that was about? Yes, surely. In Ezekiel 16, verse 8, I'm reading here where it says, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, and when I passed by again, I saw that you were old enough for love. So I wrapped my cloak around you to cover your nakedness and declare my marriage vows. I made a covenant with you, says the Lord, the sovereign Lord. You became mine. I found this a really interesting text. And I thought, you know, how come we're sort of, you know, talking about these covenants? And, of course, he always brings it back to marriage as as we recognise. But, you know, the word of the Lord, he, um, he came and he was speaking to them. But he says that you are now, let me just have a look again. He said that um, I saw that you were old enough for love. And I thought about that and I thought they were really old enough to understand what God was saying. And from that, of course, you know, he went on and he had, he's, he was saying these things because he said, I would spread my skirt over you. And the reference to that, of course, would be that it was an, an honor of marriage. And, um, I, I just found it so interesting that he used this analogy because, you know, um, Israel was in infancy in Egypt when God blessed and multiplied her. But now she had matured to a marriageable age. And the Lord is really betrothing himself to them. And, and um, I think that's a beautiful thought when we think about it. 
uh, here was a transaction that God was entering into this covenant, pledging himself to love, to worship, and the people to love and worship and obey him, exclusive of any other rival God. You know, in marriage there is that loyalty, there is that trust, and, and of course there is that love. And I believe this relates to the children of Israel and God in this instance. I, I remember when I was reading that particular scripture, it reminded me instantly of Jesus when he was speaking to disciples as he was, I believe, when he was entering Jerusalem, and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have uh, uh, tried to save your people and uh, as a hen looks after her chicks. And, uh, Absolutely. Mm. Putting the wings over the chicks, I believe, and that's what it reminded me of. May sound a bit odd, but that's what came into my mind. That's a beautiful. That's a beautiful thought, isn't it? When you think about it, you know, um, when you think about a mother hen just pulling all the chicks to (laughs) her, and and then I come back to the thought, mother, and of course it's Mother's Day this weekend, and I'm thinking, you know, you come between a mother and their child you will see um, the lion and the, the cubs. You know, a mother will do anything to protect. And when I look at God in that sense, he will do anything to protect his chosen people. Yes, true. You know, he wants yes. us to love him. He wants to pour out his blessings on us. And we're going to talk a little bit more on that as we go through. Absolutely. Len, do you want to add something? Yes, Ken. I think there is perhaps an underlying reason why, as well as God's love, why he chose this group of people. You may remember when we were studying about the covenants with Noah, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, Noah was a godly man. Now, Abraham was also a godly man, and it was the Lord's intention that through his descendants, this godly line should continue. Unfortunately, as we'll learn later on and probably have already learned, that the Israelites weren't always faithful to him. But it was God's intention to use a godly line to share with the people of the world the fact that there was a creator God who loved them too. Thank you. Brenton, you have something there? Yes, yes. Um, I agree with what Helen said about the fact that uh, God purposed to fulfil his plan through Israel because of his promise to Abraham. But I believe there's also another aspect that we need to look at, and Paul touches on this in the New Testament. Paul says God has chosen the weak and the feeble things of this world that are insignificant in order to magnify his glory. Israel, according to God's own statement that Len read earlier on, were not the most numerous people on the earth. They were not the most prominent. In fact, they were not the most prominent in any any area. So all through um, salvation history, God has used the weak, feeble things of this earth to demonstrate his power. And I think, again, he's contrasting um, Israel with the nations around them If you go back to Genesis 10, you might remember, um, Ken, what did they say? They said, let us make a name for ourselves. And so they built the Tower of Babel or tried to build the Tower of Babel. 
the whole of the world at this particular point in time are trying to make a name for themselves. And God is using a group of people who are insignificant as far as the rest of society goes. They're not the most numerous. He's using these people for his glory. He's going to demonstrate through the things that others discard or consider irrelevant that he can do anything because he is God and that because of his promises to Abraham, he's going to demonstrate his glory in the eyes not only of Israel but in the eyes of those around them. I believe God's purpose was to attract the nations around them to Israel's God. Brenton, I think that's such an important point because if we, if God perhaps had said, well, uh, this wonderful gift I'm going to give, it's for the rich and the famous and all those who attend the great things, I think many people would have given up and even tried to reach anything with the Lord. But because God has chosen, say, the weak and the feeble and the, the ones at the lower end of the scale, shall we say, in many cases, it really opened to anybody, and I think that's wonderful. We also read that uh, God was going to bless these people. Would you like to tell us about that, Brenton? Yes, sure. In Deuteronomy 28, 1, I'll read it, um, if you don't mind, Ken. If you fully sure. obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands. Note, before you even get into the rest of the chapter, that this is a conditional promise if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Another word for blessing in the Bible often is the word happy. And then the rest of the next 14 verses go on to tell about how God would bless them in every aspect of their life if they were faithful to him. It's a bit sad that the rest of the chapter, which is the bulk of it, talks about what would happen to them if they were disobedient. But I'll just confine my remarks to the fact that um, God promised that if they did this, they would be blessed. Now, it's interesting. You can even look at it today, even though we know Israel failed, I believe that God's blessings to Israel were not without effect. The Jewish nation are noted for many different things and individually and in other areas, um, the finance of the world often is uh, controlled by Jews and things like this. So I don't believe that God's blessings were totally withdrawn, even though they weren't faithful to him. I believe that some of what he said did actually rub off in various areas of life. I believe that to be 100% true, Brenton, because if you look at Israel today, it certainly has its problems, but some of the things they have done uh, one in particular comes to mind, the amount of desert that they have reclaimed is just yes. uh, amazing today and it's really worthwhile looking into. So anyway, now, um according to the divine plan, Joe, would you like to tell us something about this? Yes, well, I've got an interesting uh, portion, a passage here that I could read to you. Um, according to the divine plan, the Israelites were to be both the royal and a priestly race, and I think we've touched on that. In an evil world, they were to be kings, moral and spiritual, and that they were to prevail over the realm of sin. As priests, they were to draw near to the Lord in prayer, in praise and in sacrifice. As intermediaries between God and the heathen, they were to serve as instructors, preachers, prophets, and were to be examples of holy living. 
heaven's exponents of true religion. This was God's ideal for them. Um, they were, in, I mean, Brenton, you mentioned that they were by no means the greatest, you know, they were, you know, there was nothing about them that would, you know, make anyone choose them, especially for anything. They were just an ordinary group of people. But I would go even further. I would say that by the standards then, they were the dregs of society. You know, they were, um, they were slaves. And they were degraded by this. There, were, there was a lack of education. All the privileges of the then culture, they had no, nothing, nothing of that. And so we know in their behaviour that they were basically savages. When they first came out, they had no faith, no vision. Um, and God had this amazing vision for them, as we read and we've discussed so far. So God wanted them to be the pinnacle and uh, he had to draw them very gradually and by his own, in his own time and process. So, yeah, that's something that um, we can keep in mind. I, I think sometimes reading this, it looked as if God has uh, drawn these people uh, fighting and screaming and <laughs> into what he would have them do. Glenn, he wanted to add something. Yes, this reminds me very much of Jesus' choice when he chose the 12 disciples. He he chose people who were regarded as part of the lower uh, echelon of society. Um, many of them were fishermen. They were not very literate. Some of them had furious tempers and others were very impetuous. Nothing really outstanding about them, except perhaps that they were willing. And uh, when Jesus said to them, follow me, they left what they were doing and they followed him. And from them, um, they were noble people. They were teachers of the truth, just like God wanted the Israelite nation to be as a nation. So, and I guess this applies to us too. We might think, well, we're Mr. or Mrs. Nobody. But God can use us to bring about good values in society and to be an example to other people. And I think this is the important part of this study we're having today, that what God did with these people years ago, he wants to do with us in this day and age. Yes, that's that's a good point, Len. I often think sometimes, you know, you see some very rough and ready people out there, but you sometimes find these people have got a lovely heart. And I think this is what God looks at. He doesn't look at the exterior of the person, uh, but he looks at the heart and he knows with the heart that they have, he can mold them into something that will be suitable to serve him. Uh, no, God also told Abram he was going to bring him into a new land. Benton, would you tell us something about this? Well, he originally said he would take uh, Abram, as he was then known, to a land to which he would show him. In other words, he didn't name it. But we do find later in uh, Genesis 13 and 14, or for 13, 14, we find out that it was the land of Canaan. We know it today as a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I don't know what type of land uh, Abram lived in originally in Ur of the Chaldees, 
whether it was as fertile as the land that God was taking him to. But I think it's important to remember that, um, again, God had chosen it and Abram's part was to obey. And I, I just wanted to touch on, Ken, just something that Len said in the previous one, if you don't mind. That is that um, whilst God chose people who were unlearned, uneducated and all the rest of it, both Joe and Len touched upon that point, I think there's a further point that we shouldn't overlook. God also chose a guy called Saul, who became Paul, who was extremely well educated, who was a member of the Sanhedrin. I, I believe that all of this teaches us that if a person has a willing heart, even if that heart is misled, as in the case of Saul, God is able to use that person. Obviously, if you have talents, you have influence, you have money, and you have education, you can be a real blessing in the Lord's work if you are surrendered and humble and willing to be used. Thank you, Brenton. I know we have touched on this before, but when you think about it, here we have Abram, and he was in his own land with his families and what have you, and God has decided to move him to somewhere else. And without even any uh, thought of all, Abram said, yes, I will do that. And yeah. he certainly was following God. And if you put yourself in his shoes, that's really a big, big move. If you if you think about it today, it's God asking you to move from where you are, everything you know, and the languages you know, and all the culture you know, to somewhere that you've no idea where you're going. So it really was a, a faithful move that Abram did. Now, where was this land to be? Do we have a name for it? And what were the people of God to do when they reached it? Helen, would you like to tell us a bit about that? Yes, just before I do, Len wanted to make a comment. So, Thinking about Abram, who was asked to move from the earth Chaldees to this land where he had his flocks, and we've learned a little bit about this in the past. It reminds me of the saying, new house, new baby. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, listeners, but quite often it seems that when people of um, age, when they can bear children, move house, the whole change brings about a new baby. And so be careful when you move house. <laughs> however, however, um, it seems very much to me by asking Abram to move to this land and later his descendants moved there too, uh, it was like a new beginning to do a new task. And so new house, new baby. Okay, I'm in answer to your question before, Ken. In Numbers 13, 1 and 2, I'm reading here, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall you send a man, every one a ruler among them. And this is indicating, of course, that this is what they were told to do. Let's remember that by this time, you know, the promise had been given to Abraham, but he had died by this time. So we're into another era, if you like, another generation. And the new leader was Moses. And here was God um, through Moses. He spoke to Moses and he then had to, to go to the children of Israel and explain. When they reached out, they were to send out spies and it's interesting that it was only the leaders that were chosen to go in there 
um, and someone from every tribe. I think it was a very fair um, division when when they went in. But, you know, I look at this and I think this is so similar to what we're waiting for. They were waiting for Canaan, and Canaan was known as the promised land, the land of milk and honey. But there was a condition on that one. Whereas we are looking to receive and keep the promised land, you know, the, when when God comes or Jesus comes in the clouds and the earth made new, the difference is, although it was promised to them, it was promised to us, It's the difference is that once we get there, there is no chance of losing it. Where in this era, there was a chance because if they disobeyed, the, they could lose the land. That's very interesting. But the spies went into the new land for 40 days and observed all things. What did they report back to Moses? Len, would you like to tell us that? All right, I'd just like to put a little bit of a historical context here. The promise was made to Abraham and his descendants. It was over 400 years before the Israelites, under the leadership of Moses, escaped from Egypt across the desert And they reached the point where they were about to enter the land that God promised that they should have, as Brenton aptly put it before, uh, generally known as Canaan, the area around Israel. So there were 12 spies. They were to be a group who would go through the land and just check it out, see if it was as good as God had promised. They saw some things. There were 12 of them, one from each of the Israeli tribes. And in Numbers 13, verses 31 and 32, we have part of the report that these spies gave when they came back. Now, two of them gave a promising report. They said, this is great. But here's what the others said. But the men who had gone up with him, that's Caleb and Joshua, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. In other words, they saw giants. And then on In chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says that night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. That would have been horrible. It was all this weeping and crying of disappointment. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, Oh, if only we had died in the desert, died in Egypt or in this desert. Everybody was despondent except two, and that was Caleb and Joshua. And God was very disappointed because he worked miracle after miracle after miracle to bring them to this point of time, and they were discouraged. Now, Joshua and Caleb both gave a positive report. They said, we can take this land. The difference was they recognized that God was with them, The rest of the people were constrained by human ideas, by human aspirations and values. But with God, all things are possible, and they'd forgotten that. I think, Lynn, it's amazing that uh, 
the people forgot so quickly all the wonderful miracles that God did. And uh, out of all the people there, only two people seemed to put their hands up and realize this isn't a problem for us. But anyway, Helen, you wanted to add something? Yes, I did. And we are very quick to sort of look back on those people and say, where was their faith? You know, God had spelt out that he was their leader. He spelt out how much he loved them. He spelt out how much he would protect them. And all of a sudden they came across these giants. That is no different to us today. You know, God says he will look after us. He will protect us. We need to have faith. And we come up against giants in our lives in different, different, um, different ways. And, um, you know, I'm a great believer in keeping a journal. And I, I believe in a, 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 a um, quotation that I read. It says, we've nothing to fear for the future, except we forget the way that God has led us in the past and his teachings. That was the basic problem. They forgot and we forget. And I think sometimes, you know, if we write these things down and we're getting despondent, go back and read them and see how God has led you faithfully right throughout your life. And I think that's a key that they actually forgot. I want to put a positive on this as well. We've certainly been talking about, and Helen is correct, they did forget, and Len is also correct in what he said. We need to remember that 40 years later, when they did eventually enter the land of Canaan, it was only Caleb and Joshua and anyone who was 20 years of age or below who entered the land of Canaan. Now, what's significant about this, Ken, is this. Um, Caleb went to Joshua and he said, you know the discussion we had with Moses way back when we were sent out as spies 40 years ago or however long ago it was. It was about 40 years or more. He said, I want as an inheritance the hill country. The hill country was the exact area that the 10 spies came back and said it's full of giants. We can't possibly overtake it. Here is a man who's 85 years of age saying, give me this hill country because that's the part I want to conquer. And by God's grace, he did. So we can look at the negative and say, yes, we're like them, but we can also look at people like Caleb, who even God said, Caleb is a man after my own heart. He follows me faithfully and fully in everything. And I think that's a message for us in 2021. We need to be faithful and following the Lord to the minutest detail. That's a very good point, Brenton. No, was God angry that the people refused to enter the land? Joe, would you like to expand on this one? Yes, well, it's interesting that that question is asked and it would appear so. However, I think that this was extreme disappointment. If we look at uh, verse 11 of chapter 14, just before that we had the witness of the two, um, Joshua and Caleb, very positive witness, um, and that they they plead with the people, do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. You know, we'll just eat them up. And, of course, in verse 10 it says, and all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now, here we are. They're about to pick up rocks and stone Joshua and Caleb. And it's then that God intervenes. Now, the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. God is saying, enough is enough. You have gone far enough. Um, I will not allow you to stone my two servants. Yeah. And so he then turns to Moses 
And it, it, you can almost hear the disappointment. How long will these people reject me? In some translations, it says despise me. And how long will they not believe me with all the miraculous signs which I have performed among them? I think we've touched on that. I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you, referring to Moses, a nation greater and mightier than they. Now, did this, this whole episode surprise God? Did he not see it coming that, you know, this would happen? I don't think so. I think God knew that they would, that they would rebel like this, that they would be, they would be um, so terrified. It just showed their lack of faith in him. It showed that, um, I mean, I guess they were very human. He understood where they'd come from and how far they had to go. And their attitude revealed that they really weren't ready to take on the land. Um, they weren't ready. They lacked the faith. And so, again, there's a lesson for us, too, that very often when we're asked to do something or we are met with a challenge that's kind of beyond our comfort zone, we recoil. We recoil and become afraid and go, oh, no, I could never do that, or we struggle. And so we know that they weren't ready. And I would venture to say that even after 40 years of wandering in the desert, they still weren't ready because we know that Joshua, under the leadership of Joshua, there were vast regions that were not claimed. Um, they preferred to make treaties with them and coexist. And we know that this was to their detriment because they were then continually being drawn into pagan worship and they had not obeyed the Lord even 40 years later. So was he angry in some sense, perhaps, but not as humans understand anger? I think he was testing Moses, and Moses said, no, no, Lord, no, no, please don't even think like that. What would the Egyptians say? Think of your good character, you know, of course, and, and I guess this was God testing Moses himself as well. I mean, Moses could have said, yep, uh, Lord, yeah, I, 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 you know, destroy them, and I'm happy. I'm happy. I have faith in you, and my family will take on the role that you had designed for Abraham's people, for Israel. So I guess there's a little bit of wiggle room in how you interpret this, but God was very disappointed and we understand why. They just weren't ready and they still weren't ready. And like you said, Ken, they were dragged kicking and screaming to be <laughs> what God had designed them to be. I think it's very interesting reading this particular story and I'm sure sometimes perhaps people reading would say, oh, look, we wouldn't have done that. But I do believe that, mm-hmm. in all honesty, if we were back then, if we went back in time, we would perhaps do exactly the same because it's uh, it's very difficult times having faith. And I often point out to people, look, if you haven't got faith in the little things, how are you going to have faith when something major comes along? So faith is something that we do need to practice as much as possible. And if we read many of the stories which we have, and we've talked about them on air as well, about uh, some of the uh, great people that, that God had and the challenges that they came upon, and, and in some cases their life was on the line the very last second before God intervened, but he did intervene, and this shows real fear they didn't give up. I think, I think they were they were thinking that they had to do this in their own strength. Yes, 
They weren't trained in war and the use of weapons. They couldn't. Absolutely, humanly speaking, what they said was true. There is no way. We, you know, we, we're going to be annihilated. We, it's, it's pointless even trying. And they didn't see that the God that was showing these miraculous signs was feeding them, you know, feeding them miraculously every day. Um, they just couldn't correlate that with that power will help us achieve the impossible. And that's exactly what, what, you know, we the power that we have on hand that can help us achieve the impossible, not for our own glory, but for his kingdom. Yes, yes that's a good point. I, I myself today often think that in many ways, and I'm sure maybe you may not agree with me in this one, but I think in many ways Christians today have a greater faith perhaps than what the many uh, many of the early people had because we don't physically see the amazing things, uh, signs and wonders that God did uh, in a visual perspective. Uh, We obviously have things that happen in our lives that we know that God does, but all the miraculous uh, uh, things that God did with with food and land and the skies, we haven't seen, but uh, I think that's, that's an interesting point. Now, Moses, before he died, gave the people some very important advice. We have already heard the blessings God had promised the people, but here we learn what will happen if they don't follow the covenant they agreed to with God. Helen, would you like to tell us a bit more about this? Well, I think I've got one of the saddest parts to talk about. Um, (laughs) and, And it often leaves me completely bewildered. You know, they had it spelt out, 15 verses on the blessings, and then they come to this section and there's a but. There's a but. And when you follow through, you know, for the next 53 verses, it's all about these curses. Now, if it's laid out before you, we're looking, of course, backwards here, but you you look at it and I think, why ever would they not obey? Why ever would they want these curses? Because it just it just blows my mind. Let me just read here in Deuteronomy, um, and it's 28 verse 15. It says, but if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and do not obey all the commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. Now, I've had people say when they've read the curses, well, that's pretty, pretty severe what God's done. You know, he's, he's a pretty cruel God. But in actual fact, when I started to look into this and study it, I realized that God has put his blessing over so many people. And, but we have a choice. And if we choose not to follow him, it's not that he's going to say, right, now I'm going to zap you or do that. You pull back his blessings. And all the evilness will take over. And when you read these, these verses, it's, it's, it's really quite horrendous. You know, I, I could go on and on for quite a while on this, but I won't. But, you know, it was really everything was being cursed. There was diseases that would come and, there were, you know, an inflammation, scorching heat and drought. Um, the, the Lord will change the rain that falls on your land and he will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. He will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and the tumours and they wouldn't get cured. And it goes on and on and on. It affected everything and everybody, you know, not just a few here and there. It was the fields, the harvest, the animals, everything would face hardship. And when we look at that and we look down through the ages, man, we can see the result of our sins. 
it is a choice that we have and i would rather i would rather choose to follow god who knows the end from the beginning who has promised us blessings and protection than to go down the line without him with christ it's an endless hope without him it's a hopeless end very good len you wanted to say something Yes, there's a theme that runs through the whole Bible, which is being highlighted right here. The people who love God obey him. Jesus said that, if you love me, keep my commandments. And this is perhaps a law of the universe to obey God, not because we're scared of him, but because we realize that God's ways are the best ways. And Ever since and before, those who obey, God blesses. Those who disobey, they miss out on God's blessings and things turn against them. So there's a good lesson here for us to obey and serve and honour God and it will go well for us. If we choose another way, then we can't expect all those good things. What Len's saying is so, so true. But again, it comes back to not the fact that God wants to inflict this on us. As um, Len said, we have a choice and we must remember that. You know, some people are sort of saying, well, you know, God doesn't leave us much choice, but it is still a choice. He gives us that freedom to make that choice. I really hope and pray that every, every listener that hears our voices today will hear the voice of the Lord and choose to follow him. I'd like to add something to that, Helen. You brought up an important point. As we are aware, and I hope many people out there are aware, it's Satan who rules this world. And, of course, he is out to destroy the world and especially anyone who is anywhere interested in God. So when God says these things, you will have these afflictions, I believe part of that was that God was withdrawing his protection from these people because they weren't following him the way they should. And, of course, that opens the door for Satan to come in and do whatever he wants to do. So I think that's an important point. But why did God's people, the Israelites, abandon the covenant God had made with their forefathers? Brenton, would you like to answer that one? It's hard to answer, actually, Um, Ken, but I will read the verse. Jeremiah 11, verse 8, But your ancestors did not listen or even pay attention. Instead, they stubbornly followed their own evil desires. And because they refused to obey, I brought upon them all the curses described in the covenant. Helen has adequately touched on the curses, so I'm not going to go over that again. I have often wondered about this. Um, With everything that they had, why were they not faithful? I think there are a couple of reasons that come to my mind, and I'm not suggesting they're the only reasons. God told them certain things when they entered the land of Canaan. I think Jo touched on it earlier on when she said they did not dispossess all of the people of the land. They co-inhabited with them. The second, and that immediately brought a set of problems, and the problems are these. God told them very, very specifically He said, you are not to give your daughters to their sons. That's the people of the land. And you are not to take their daughters, the people of the land, for your sons. When God said that they would be his separate people, um, you can actually see this if you read the book of Joshua 
and the book of Numbers, you can actually see how important to God it was that they married within their tribal group. In other words, so that the knowledge of the true God would be retained. But by intermarriage with unbelievers, they diluted that um, relationship, I believe, that they had with God. I believe that's one of the major reasons they went off the track. I think another reason possibly is that at this point in time, they had a sanctuary. They didn't have a temple. Uh, God appeared at times in the, in the sanctuary. We know that his glory appeared over the most holy place of the sanctuary. Um, but the heathen around them had temples too. And I think to some degree they may have felt because they had idols and things that they could actually go and worship, that they were more tangible evidences of a God among them. And because their uh, consecration to God was diluted by their intermarriage, I believe that these are some reasons. I'm not suggesting they're all the reasons, but I'm suggesting there are some reasons why they may have um, began to wander away from the Lord. What always um, amazes me is that it says at the end of the book of Joshua that all the people of, the, of Israel were faithful to the Lord during the time of Joshua and during the time of all his contemporaries. As soon as they were dead, they started worshipping idols. And so what is the answer to this? Well, I think the answer is basically unbelief, um, along with these accompanying points. So I think they did not believe that God could do everything that he said he could do. And I think secondarily, they were self-confident because you remember back at Sinai, they said, all of the Lord has said we will do. They were totally unable to see that they were totally unable to fulfill what God had said. What they should have said is, Lord, we are willing to do it. Please place within us the necessary, um, not only will to do it, but the ability to do it. We can't do it ourselves. We recognize that. We recognize you brought us out of Egypt through the Red Sea. You've looked after us in the wilderness. We recognize that everything we have, we owe to you. We do want to be obedient, but we recognize that we can't be obedient. We need to apply that today because we have plenty of modern-day Pharisees around. We have to recognize that we can't do anything. This is why Jesus said, you need to be connected to me. Um, just like um, the fruit is connected to the vine. Thank you, Brent. That was a very good explanation, Jill. I agree with everything that Brenton has said, absolutely. But not only was the religion diluted through intermarriage, it was also polluted because yes. they knew about the curses. And so they, they appeared to, at times in history, marry the two together. You know, so yes, we will worship the Lord and we'll do this. We'll appear to offer sacrifices, but then we, we're going to have this on the side. And so they would kind of have this compromised, polluted religion. And of course, their behavior, there was nothing sanctifying in that kind of religion. And so that would be shown up in the way they interacted with each other and how they mistreated the poor. And I guess we've covered this in previous discussions. But I think it's the importance of keeping it pure. And there are examples in Scripture that people who were Gentiles, like Ruth, for instance, were accepted into the fold but because they, they were converted. But, you know, pagans and heathen who weren't converted were definitely not to be intermarried with. 
um, simply for that reason that eventually it creeps into the religion and the faith of that family and that community. That's a good point. Just thinking back on what Brenton point, said about, right. about Brenton saying about uh, not to be mixing the tribes, not to be mixing with those people living round about them today. And again, we see in the New Testament, I think it was Jesus was saying not to be unequally yoked uh, in your Christian life. And we often say it, I myself have seen it in the church, and I'm sure many of you have as well, where someone in the church who's a believer get involved with someone who's a non-believer and within a, a relatively short space of time that person disappears from the church because the other person has pulled them away from it and it's such a sad, sad thing and sometimes we we look at what God says perhaps in his word and we don't really fully comprehend it or perhaps even believe it but it is very, very important. Now we read over and over again in the Bible God's chosen people coming to God then breaking away from him. But God has always had a remnant, a bloodline who kept his covenants, his commandments, who chose to stay faithful to him. Ben, would you like to expand on this? Yes. In fact, this is a, a really a remarkable thing. Despite the demonstrations of God's power, his goodness, that many people go off the rails, so to speak, in fact, if you read about the Israelites, it, it talks in some of those um, later Old Testament books about his people have committed adultery. In other words, they've accepted the values and so on of surrounding pagan society. But it seems that within even a group of people that God has especially chosen, there are faithful ones and we call them the remnant. And I believe this is the case in this day and age. There are many people, religious people, who have accepted ideas that are totally unbiblical, and God needs a remnant who will be faithful to him and will be faithful to his word. I'll just read um, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 13, where God says here, the remnant of Israel will do no wrong, they will speak no lies, nor will deceit be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. You know, that's the sort of person I want to be, and I believe that all the members of the panel feel the same way. We want to be faithful and true, even though people around us are going wrong so that uh, we can... When the Lord calls, we can go with him rather than just be part of the crowd. Panel, as we look into the Bible, can you see people who trusted God and remained faithful to him no matter what came their way? Have we got some examples here? There's a lot of them. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, it lists a lot of these faithful people. Noah, we've discussed him before. There was Abraham. Then we have Joseph and Jacob and Joshua and Solomon, Caleb, Elijah. Elijah was um, quite disappointed at the wickedness of the Israelites and he said to the Lord, well, Lord, I'm the only one who's been faithful to you. And the Lord said to him, uh-uh, there are 7,000 in this land who've been faithful to me. There's Job, there's Isaiah, there's Daniel and a lot of people. I hope there's another one we can add to the list. Len. 
<laughs> Ellen, you wanted to add something? Well, yes, I appreciate what Len said, but they're all men. So <laughs> I'd like to bring in that there was also women in the Bible who were faithful no matter what. I think of Hannah Ooh. and Ooh. her faithfulness to God. I think of Ruth. I think of even Naomi, you know, Jochebed. Her faith was such that she 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 put her child into a basket and knew God would look after him. There are Mary, Jesus' mother, what a faith that she had and a belief. So, you know, I just want to even up the side here if that's all right. Let's give you one more. How, how about Rahab? Yes, yeah, how about Rahab? The Lord came through the descendants, yes. Look, I, I think as we know, there were many, many, many people in the Bible who wouldn't have time today to win them all. And perhaps some of the names we may come up with, many people wouldn't know. But that's a, a, re- a really good start anyway. And uh, it just shows that there has been faithful people throughout history. And there will be faithful people uh, until the return of Jesus, which is very close at hand. But God's people have always faced problems because of Satan. And will continue to do so until the return of Jesus comes in all its foreign glory. Bill, would you like to tell us a little bit about that one? Yes. Um, in Revelation, I think the answer is found in Revelation 12, 12 and 13. Um, and it says, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil is come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Now, there is so much encapsulated in he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. We know that this this enmity began where? It began in Eden, didn't it? When God said that he would put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and hers and he will crush your head. And immediately this, this controversy began, this, this fight for supremacy between God's power, God's side and Satan's side. It began with the death of Abel. You know, if Cain wasn't the chosen one, the promised one, well, then maybe it was Abel and perhaps we should get rid of Abel. And then, there were, of course, you could pick out like the destruction of male children in Egypt because we've been talking about that in an attempt to destroy the deliverer that was promised the seduction of Israel away from God. We know that Balaam was hired to show how is how can we bring these people down, you know, and he gave them a tip. He said, look, I can't curse them. They're untouchable, but if you get them to separate from their God, then they'll be at your mercy. I mean, how true was that? And this battle has raged during the Dark Ages, um, you know, and it continues today. So in answer to the question, which was, have God's people always faced problems because of Satan? A clear answer is yes. Yes, definitely, because he knows that he has but a short time. And so he's not going to waste time on people that are already his. He's going to comfort those who are Christ's and, and want to be with Christ. Thank you. We have read in Genesis that God would establish an everlasting covenant with Abram and his descendants. But panel, does this apply to us? Helen, would you like to answer that one? Yes, that's my answer, yes. <laughs> but to bring it from the Bible, um, we read in uh, Genesis seventeen seven. he said, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. He said it was an everlasting covenant and he would always be 
his God and our God. And, and that's confirmed in the New Testament in Galatians. In Galatians 3, 6 to 9, it also mentions um, Abraham, but it goes on and says, the real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. Panel, have you all put your faith in God? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we have yeah. a promise. We we have a promise here that you know we are the real children of Abraham, and and I think that's just a beautiful promise. And we can continue on with Galatians three twenty six to twenty nine. I'm not going to read it, but by all means, you read it when you get a chance because it finishes up there in twenty eight. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ. You know, the original promise to Abraham was, was, was obviously intended for the whole world, not just for Abraham's physical descendants. And all believers participating in this promise are blessed as children of Abraham. So the answer, a definite yes. It refers to us today. Thank you, Helen. Well, listeners, we're just about out of time. I'd just like to finish by saying... Like Abraham, we too have linked to God through Christ. We are part of the promise that God gave to Abraham with the opportunity to receive everlasting life. If we follow Christ and keep his commandments, as as we look around the world today, we see we can see that the day of the Lord is getting very close. Won't you open your heart today to Jesus? Think about it for a moment. There's more to gain than lose. Let us finish on a prayer. Lord God Almighty, we are so thankful today we have this wonderful opportunity to share your special word. We pray, Lord God, that this word will open the hearts and minds of our listeners, those that are seeking to find Jesus and those that are perhaps unsure about things. We just thank you, Lord God, for the blessings that all these words may have on people and in all these things, Heavenly Father, we praise your name and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Panel. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. In fact, as you think about what we've presented to you today from God's Word, it adds quite a lot of meaning to my final statement. Keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.